Carter's going to share. If you want to sit for just a minute, he's going to share his testimony. Hello, everybody. My name's Carter Gibbs. I've been coming to our church here now for just over two years. And I just want to tell you that I love it here. My kids, uh, Gage and Kaikea, they come along too. Oh, there I am. Okay. Um, So I'd like to start off with a prayer, if we may, okay? Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for being the true and only God. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for being the God of the Bible. And thank you for your spirit that's among us and within us, Lord. Please have this be to the glory of you. I'm sharing my exchange that I had. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Did we get photos? All right, so I'm an avid motorcycle rider, and my son has become one. And he and I, we ride as often as we can. We typically, we ride at racetracks. Um, And this particular day on 610 of this year, Gage and I chose to ride at Paris Raceway. We'd never been there before. Never been to Paris, don't know what it's about. We get there early. I drive a truck and a trailer, and the young lady says for us to go park over, find a stretch of uh, uh, off to the side where the fence is. So I do. We're one of the first people there. Gage and I are getting dressed. We're getting ready to go, and of course, he's super excited. He gets on the track. He's one of the first guys on the track as I'm still stretching out, trying to get my oldness up there to go ride, right? Okay. Um, And I'm watching the track. Now, where where we camp at or where we park, I'm about 50 to 60 feet away from a left-hand turn right in front of us. And so at that time, I'm watching a handful of guys come through, and I see these three guys coming at me. And then I sit down, and the one guy crashes. The two guys that were behind him stopped. It was a slow-speed crash. Not a big deal, right? Well, I stood up, and I looked at the angle of that rider that was down. And I knew something was wrong, and I immediately ran there. Once I got there, um, I noticed that his positioning of his head uh, to his body was wrong. And so what I did was I went into immediate action. I told the one rider, call 911 right now. And I told the other rider, go get the uh, on-site EMT. We need them now. The good news is, is that they were watching us from the tower. The EMT was already on his way there. What I did was I knelt down in the corner. His face was down in his chest. I lifted him up and I noticed his neck. And I noticed his coloration. At about that time, that EMT had gotten there. And he said, hey, you're flipping him over. I got this. Hold his neck. Do this. Do that. The EMT then took over. But I knew exactly what was going on here. I secured his head. Didn't move his neck. And his color was a purple peanut butter color. His neck and his face. And that's a really bad sign, guys. It's really, really bad. Any EMTs in here, anyone can tell you that that's just, it's bad. So what we did was we cut away his strap, pulled his helmet off, and then the EMT and I switched. I was holding his head. Now I'm cutting off his chest protector and his jersey. 
and the EMT is holding his head. We then go into compressions and he goes into mouth to mouth. From there, we flipped back over, we changed spots and I was holding his head and the EMT then was doing chest compressions. At this time, there were probably 20, 25 riders around us, including my son. He was watching us in action. When we turned him over, the man went from the color that he was into blue and he turned to ash. We checked for pulse, there was no pulse. We continued CPR, continued chest compressions. There was nothing there. And so I just put my, my forehead on his. And I said, God, your will be done. But if you could bring this guy back, please bring this guy back for him to be a part of your kingdom or an ongoing part of your kingdom. And he began to gurgle and he coughed and he gurgled. And it still took us an additional probably three or four minutes to work with this gentleman. He wasn't really there, but he was breathing. And his skin color came back. It was miraculous. What I saw, the skin color that was an ash from blue to ash became bright pink so fast. And I could see it rushing up. And it was awesome. And that was an opportunity for this man to have another chance at life. And at the same time that happened, the cavalry got there. The EMTs the firemen, and they took over. And at this time, I was spent and I was tired. And I walked back to where we parked alongside of that fence there with the trailer and the canopy, and I sat down. And I just thanked the Lord, and I prayed for this guy. <clears throat> About 20 minutes later, the firemen and the EMT, these guys, they asked me for my account of what happened, and I gave it to them. And they said that he was most likely gone for eight to nine minutes. He was not with us. And they didn't know his status, but they were rushing him off, but that he was breathing on his own. Then my son came over and sat with me. But here's where I really found out what was going on. The EMT came over and he said to me, no one gets involved in, in these situations. Thank you for being there and thank you for assisting me. You helped save this guy's life. His name's Gary. And I said, I didn't do anything of the sort. I don't have that kind of power. But I let him know that the Lord Jesus Christ had total power over exactly what we were experiencing and that the Lord allowed this man to come back. And this EMT, his name's David, excuse me, Damon. Damon looks at me and he says, wow, that's weird. And he trucked off. He circled back about 20 minutes later and he started crying. And he said, I've been searching for God and it would take someone like you and an incident like this to have me understand. And that was for me, what was really miraculous about this was someone like Damon it was searching. And then my son was watching me. 
So the thing that I've, I want to tell everyone here is that everyone's watching us. We've told everyone what our position is. We stand firm. We plant our flag on the Lord. And people are watching us regardless of their position. And it's up to us to be servants to each other and then servants to the world. And that's what happened on 610. Carter, thanks so much, man. Um, <laughs> to, to have a, like, you know, he, he left out some of the details, but I mean, no one comes back from that. Only Jesus has the power uh, to bring people back. And Carter, thank you so much for your faithfulness and what an awesome testimony, a witness. Um, with that, uh, I'll let the uh, kids go to junior church um, and we will jump into our message. If you haven't met Carter, he's got a lot of crazy stories. For some reason, all the, all the bad stuff happens to him. <laughs> um, we're, we're continuing our, our series uh, in Hebrews. And so I thought I would share the joke that Olivia shared with me. She said, how does Moses make his coffee? He brews it. She's nine, so it's pretty good. Uh, hey, let's jump into our text because we're going to uh, be talking about bodies today and we're going to see how important bodies are. Um, and I, 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 yeah, let's just, let's just jump in. So this is uh, Hebrews 2, uh, 10 to 18. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them, us, brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil and free those like Gary who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now that's, 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 a lot going on there, and we're gonna we're gonna pick it apart and 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 really hear uh, the the that everything starts with Jesus. That's our, that's the title of this series. Everything starts with Jesus. Everything about Jesus is amazing. It's perfect. It's wonderful, and it's for us. And so let's uh, let's 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 pick it apart. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom through, uh, through whom everything for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what He suffered. This is the NIV translation, and uh, pioneer is the Greek word archegos, and it's a uh, it usually means something like founder or originator. Um, but the NIV does an awesome job here. This is a, a great translation: pioneer or trailblazer, something like that. And here's why. Here's why. It's because Jesus is being pictured here like Indiana Jones. 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Did anyone see the newest Indiana Jones? There's Indiana Jones five. You did. what did you think? Mm. <laughs> Jeff Stora said that he liked it, but Jeff Stora, like he likes everything. I just couldn't, I could not bear to see Indiana Jones as, at 80. Like when I was a kid growing up, like Indiana Jones was like one of, like the coolest, manliest dude. Everyone, every, like all the guys want to be Indiana Jones or Han Solo or both. And to, I, to, I just didn't, like, to, to have him be, like, an old man? Like, I don't know if I want to watch that. I mean, I'm, I might check it out at some point if it ever comes on on Disney+, Plus, but I'm not paying for that. Uh, at any rate, what, what made Indiana Jones great at the beginning, the first three movies, uh, the only ones that really matter, uh, was because he was an explorer. He, he, he's on, uh, at one time during the day, he's a college professor, and I'm a college professor, but then he like moonlights as this incredible explorer, archaeologist. Uh, he goes and does things that no one's ever done before, explores places that no one's ever seen, finds treasures that no one's ever uh, thought could be found, and why does he do it? To preserve history, to make sure it goes to a museum so that everyone can enjoy it. Now, in that way, Indiana Jones is a trailblazer. He's a, he's a pathfinder. He's a pioneer. He's going where no one else has gone. And the author of Hebrews is thinking of Jesus in exactly the same way. Okay? Did you hear what it said? In bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Okay? It's like there's this train going. And, and Jesus is dragging us, the sons and daughters, into glory. But how does he do it? How does he do it? He has to go to someplace that God has never been. And that is here with us. He has to do something that's never been done. He has to go on an adventure that cannot, that, that no one else could do. He has to go in, not to the jungles of Peru or wherever Indiana Jones goes, but into sin and death. He has to go into sin and death all the way so that he can come out on the other side. The first person to go all the way through sin and death and then to come out into glory. And in doing that, he brings us along. So he is like this, this, this awesome pioneer of, but there's a problem. Like Indiana Jones, like any pioneer, going through sin and death, trailblazing, pathfinding, finding a new way of life, it hurts. You know, how many, one of the great things about those early Indiana Jones movies is, Indiana Jones takes his licks. And Jesus does too. He spends most of his life in ministry being rejected, being ignored. At the end, of course, he's tortured to death. See, to blaze this trail requires suffering. That's the first thing your note sheets. Jesus pioneered the way through sin and death to the kingdom of God or glory, and it hurt. And that brings up a question. The question is this. Is Jesus, is what Jesus is doing, is he, is he suffering so that we don't have to? Or is he modeling what's going to happen to us if we follow him? Now, we're a grace church. I, I, I firmly believe 100%, no doubt, that in order to get to heaven, all you have to do is believe. There's no cost. That grace is everything. All you have to do is trust. But, big B but, I do think that following Jesus hurts. And I think this because I've, I'm 42 now, and everybody I know, every single one of you that I've met and talked to, for the, I mean, almost all of you have at some point or another shared 
incredible pain with me. And some of you even come and ask the question, why? I've been trying to do things right. I've been trying to, to live the way I'm supposed to live. Why, why does this hurt? Why am I suffering? Isn't it that, you know, if I do all the right things and follow, then I'm supposed to be happy and have a good life? Well, what does suffering do to us? That's the next question here. If you suffered in your discipleship, what did it do to you? Because sometimes it's bad. But sometimes it's good. So hold on to that. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. Let's go, let's go back to the text. Uh, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are the same family. Now, what's happening here is that uh, the author of Hebrews is quoting, you see those quotes, uh, I will declare to uh, your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. That's Psalm 22. I don't want to get too technical here, but if you're curious about it, if you open up Psalm 22 in your Bible, even in the NIV, it's not going to say that exactly. It's because the author of Hebrews is quoting from what's called the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Don't, you don't need to worry about that. If you're curious, you can text me this week. We can go get coffee. I'll explain the whole thing. But uh, it, the point that the author is making is in Psalm 22, Jesus speaking through the psalmist is telling us that anyone who comes in his name is going to be his brother and sister. Jesus moving through this pioneering that Jesus do is going to make us family. And then the second quotes come, come from uh, Isaiah 8. The interesting thing about this, if you read Psalm 22, you're going to notice that this uh, quote comes at the very end of the psalm. And it comes after a whole bunch of pain and misery. In fact, Psalm 22 starts out with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now you may remember that's exactly what Jesus says on the cross. Jesus quotes Psalm 22 when in the, what we call the cry of dereliction as he's giving up his spirit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The psalmist the, the author of Hebrews hears that and recognizes that Psalm 22 is testifying about Jesus. And he looks and he sees what happens. If you read Psalm 22, there's suffering, pain, misery. The, the, the psalmist is like, why, what's going on? Why are you forsaking me? And then comes to a point and says, I know you're not going to give up on me, God. I know you're not going to quit. I know you're going to save me. And when you do, when you do, I am going to be joined with my new family in the assembly of God, in the church or the synagogue, whatever, you're, the, the, the temple. And I, we're all going to be together as a family. So the pain comes first and then the glory and with the glory is family. Brothers and sisters. Jesus is saying, or the author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is saying he's our older brother. I, uh, I, I'm an only child and my experience of siblings uh, growing up was only through observation. And so for example, I saw like a Bill Koblenz and his brothers a lot. And I would, you know, watch their interactions and I would think to myself, thank God I don't have siblings. Because that, it looks like it hurts a lot. Like those boys were constantly pounding on each other. And I, the closest, I'm, the, the second closest I've ever been into a, to a brawl was at a motorcycle rally with, with Bill's brothers. They were like, like, Rob was like ready to kill somebody. I was like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with you people? And so I, I, I just, I, I've never got the whole sibling thing until I got a little bit older and I met Aaron, my wife. Aaron is uh, eight years older than Brett. 
So Aaron, the same as Alice, right? Alice is eight years older than the Soren. So Aaron had a much different relationship. I'm just kidding, by the way. The Koblenz boys were awesome, and they loved each other a lot, and they still do. It's a joke. Uh, but Aaron, I, I noticed that her brother, much younger, like looked up to her. He was in high school still when we met, and she was kind of like a mentor for him. She was like the one, she, she was really successful in, in, in her life and career. She was an amazing soccer player. And he watched, and he, as he was growing up, he was like, it was like hero worship. Like, wow, that's my family. And I think that's exactly the type of relationship of family that Jesus, that the author of Hebrews is telling us Jesus wants us to have. Right? Jesus is the older brother that we can trust, that we can look up to and say, he did it, and so can I. He went through the battles. He went through the suffering. He came out in glory. We can too. Next thing your note sheets, Jesus made us family. We're not just connected to him. We're connected now to each other. Whether we like it or not. Because sometimes... We don't get along. Uh, I mean, I don't know about you, but the only older brother that's totally awesome that I know is Jesus. The rest of us, we seem kind of broken and messed up. And we're trying. And by God's spirit, we're making progress. But we, we still... So some questions just to think about. You know, if, if we're family, right, what are your experiences of family? Good, bad, and ugly. Because whatever you experience in your, your physical blood family, you're going to get the same stuff here. We're bound by spirit, not by blood. But the same stuff happens. And so then you got to ask yourself the next question. Like, what makes for a thriving family versus a dysfunctional one? Because a lot of us come from dysfunctional families. We know the pain that we can cause each other. Why? Because when you love somebody, you are giving them the power to hurt you. The deepest pain is not coming from some enemy across the, the, uh, on the other side of the world who's fighting you. The deepest pain we experience as people is from the ones we love. Like, and so what does it take to make a, a, a family that, that, that works, that thrives? Because those same type, that same mentality that you have in, 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 your, in making a, a, a healthy physical family, it, it crosses over. One thing, it, I mean, one, just one thing is like, how, how, how much do we spend like all of our time together versus having healthy boundaries, right? Like, just think about it. Like, I, I look at, you know, Alice and Olivia, they're but when they, when they separate for a little while, then they remember how much they love each other. And I wonder, there's, there's a dynamic there that's interesting to think about. So how can you make this family stronger? Well, uh, uh, the first thing that you can do is you can think about what practices would, you know, benefit everyone. But one of those practices is cooking meat. Um, I, I have been informed, we have a, we have the, Great American Annual Coast Family Barbecue Cook-Off. I named it. It's, it's long. In two weeks. Is that right? And Lindsay told me that only six of you have signed up to cook meat for the cook-off. Do better. Like, wow. Okay, that, that's, that's poor. Last year, we had brisket. We had tri-tip. We had wings, we had sausages. I, just thinking about it makes me hungry, and I can't wait. So here's what's going to happen. If you fail, 
If you fail, then what we're going to do is we're just going to put a whole bunch of Costco burger patties on the grill. And that's what you're going to eat. And it'll be great. Don't get me wrong. There's still a foam cannon, all the things, all the fun. But the joy, the joy of the protein will be lost. Matt, I know you're vegan. Um, you're still invited. Uh, if you, and here's my, because we're family, if you bring like a vegan sub, like substitution, no one here is going to judge you or make fun of you. Instead, we're going to be like, well done, sir. You're going to outlive us all. Okay. That was a little bit of a sidetrack, a little tangent, but seriously though, tell all the people that aren't here to make the meat and we're going to have the meat and it's going to be awesome. All right. Plug completed. All right, let's go back to the text, <laughs> the end here. Um, for this, uh, the, the, the part that I'm, I'm skipping about the, the devil, that we've already kind of talked about. It. It's, it's that pioneering thing where, where Jesus goes through and he breaks the chains of, of sin and death uh, of the devil. And, and he's the, the pioneer who does that, the Indiana Jones. But he, why does he do it? For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he t- was tempted, and he is able to help those who are being tempted. The author of Hebrews is going to go on later to talk more about the high priest stuff, so I'm going to wait on that. But I do want to highlight how much, the author of Hebrews thinks it's important that Jesus was a human being, was fully embodied the way that we are. It's important because it gives him the opportunity to do something that no other God and no other being has ever been able to do before. I have a picture here of uh, Henry Nouwen. He's, um, he's, he's dead now, but he was a Catholic um, counselor, psychologist, um, I think he was a priest too, but he, he had this, this, this concept where he was reading through Hebrews. It was literally this passage and then one in Hebrews 4, where he came to the conclusion that what the author of Hebrews was saying is that Jesus understands us and can help us because he's been through it too. And he, he, he developed the concept of what's called the wounded healer. Um, the wounded healer, he, he says, it's through wounds that we're able to be compassionate. We're able to help in the healing of others. And Jesus did this first. He pioneered this. He pioneered suffering and wounds as a way to become a healer for others. Now, this, uh, the, the concept is interesting because what it, what it means is that we have to hurt before we can help. Now you've heard hurt people hurt people. That's true. But people who've been hurt and who have been healed make the best healers. I know this is true. And the reason that I know this is true is because I've been trying to be pretty transparent about my own you know, mental health anxiety issues, which I love that Speak to Jesus song, Doug. Every time I'm like, speak it over, speak Jesus over anxiety. What's interesting about it is that a lot of times everyone's always like, why? What, what, what is it that causes the anxiety? And I, and I say, there's no cause. There's triggers. But there's nothing. And people don't understand this because you all have brains that aren't broken. Your brains are normal and, fu- and well-functioning, so you don't get it. You can't. Like, how could you? How could you understand what it's like to, to just not have control over your own mind? Well, I do know what that's like, and it's awful. But it's given me an opportunity um, whenever I meet people who battle with mental health issues, 
I can have a type of compassion, a type of empathy, a type of knowing that most people can't. It doesn't mean I can fix all their problems. It doesn't mean that I can, but what it does mean is it means I can listen well. It means I can have compassion on them in a, in a way that other people just, you don't, if you don't get it, you don't get it. And that's okay. It's not wrong. But in that way, this suffering is a gift because it makes me a wounded healer. What Henry Nouwen recognizes is that every time we receive a wound, we're becoming a little more like Jesus because his wounds are what make him so suitable for us. Whatever pain you're experiencing, whatever loss you have, whoever's let you down, Jesus gets it. He knows what it's like. And there are other people in these pews and chairs who do too. Last thing in your note sheet. There is no pain too great or sin too evil for Jesus because he's a wounded healer. He's experienced it. He's absorbed it. And he has the authority to bring you through it into glory. So what about you? What wounds do you carry? What wounds are you experiencing right now? Because in them, they're either going to make you harder or they're going to make you softer. The pain you experience is either going to transform you into someone who pushes it away or it's going to transform you into somebody who can help heal. And so it's worth asking right now, in your past and whatever you're going through currently, what is it doing to you and what has it done to you? Because what Jesus wants is he wants it to soften you, wants it to make you somebody who can heal others. He wants it to be, in the end, a gift. So what are the next question? What unique wounds do you have? What shape do you? Where do you have compassion and empathy that most people don't? Where can you be the wounded healer Jesus to somebody else? And last, for those of you um, who are hurting now, and I know there are, I know, I know there are, there always are. Um, Jesus gets it, and He loves you, and He's hurt too, and He's with you, and He's for you, and so are we. Just a final thought. Isn't it interesting how much the author of Hebrews like thinks about human bodies? Like being human. Like like flesh and blood. Isn't it interesting how much he emphasizes that? How much he's like, he's constantly like, Jesus was that and he still is. And you, he went with us through. You're going to glory in your flesh, in your blood, your body. There's something, uh, most religions <clears throat> tend to be very transcendent. They tend to be, uh, like, it's all about, like, you know, getting away from the physical and the material and getting to some higher, beautiful, purer place. 
That's not Christianity. Christianity is all about us being people, being, having muscles and just being us, being down in the dirt, real. And that somehow through that, we become transformed with Jesus. And so I think, I do think, and this is just a, just a, I mean, you could disagree, but I, I, I just want to suggest this because it's convicted me. As I, I was preparing this, the sermon and thinking through uh, what's going on in Hebrews, I've been like, ugh. Because if I'm being real honest, I have not done a very good job of treating this body well. This body is weak. It's uh, fat. It's, uh, I'm, because I hate pain. Um, and yet, everything I'm hearing the, the scripture say is like, no, you need to suffer. Like, you need to be transformed. You need to hurt it. So here's the thing. I have lost like 15 pounds or something like that. But, oh, Jack, you're looking great, man. You're, you're, in, the best, you're in the best weight of your life. But I remember, I remember the old days. <laughs> and, you, and you were worse than me. Uh, so my mom got me a, an e-bike. And I am proud to, I got made fun of this. Two days in a row, I have gone biking on an e-bike. And I sweat, and it hurt my legs. Everyone's like, oh, it's super easy. No, I, I don't do the pedal assist until I absolutely have to. This is a workout, Brooke. <laughs> and here's what I'm saying. We, we have an obligation. And most of you guys are really good at this. I'm the one who sucks, but... We have an obligation to, to, to treasure and to take care of this gift. Because these bodies, they're not, they're not going anywhere. They're with us for eternity. They're going to get glorified. But th- this is us, okay? And, and we, have to, we have to recognize what, what we're doing in the flesh matters. And we need to be an example to the people around us of how valuable our bodies are. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here, like I'm the one who's the problem, but, but I do want to say that I do believe that part of our discipleship should be a kind of discipline of the body, that that's one place where we can suffer well and be transformed by Jesus. And believe me, he gets it. For those of us who hate this, he gets it. And so be sure to encourage me to keep riding that bike. It's cool, though, because there's a seat on the back and Soren rides with me. Apparently, that's illegal, and that makes it more fun. All right. Uh, With that, um, God bless you and keep you. Let me pray for you. Gracious God and Father, uh, we are so blessed to be your children. We thank you for for Jesus. We thank you for the way that he pioneered um, our salvation, that he went through sin and death. He experienced everything, that, that he knows what it's like to be us, to be hurt like us. And that in that, he heals us. Jesus, we praise you for that. For being that pioneer, that trailblazer, that pathfinder. The one who did what no one else could do. To give us new life, to give us transformation. And Holy Spirit, we see you working in power. We see you working in power through Carter. Um, and the mir- miracle you did to save uh, Gary's life. To bring Damon close to you. God, you're not done with us yet. You're not finished. You're still working. You're still alive. You're still powerful. And you're still guaranteeing us glory, your sons and daughters. Thank you for making us family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.